Jeremiah chapter 9, if you guys want to open in your Bibles. And, um, you know, we, we were talking about this during worship, and this is exactly where we're going in the message. But I believe the, the purpose of creation and redemption is relationship. You know, um, the reason that, that God made all of this. Can I get a little bit more volume? The reason that God made all of this and then also the, the reason behind uh, the redemption, even of the fall of man, all of this has been for the purpose of relationship. And um, relationship is really one of the greatest factors of determining your happiness. Come on, number one, your relationship with God, and then number two, your relationship with each other. And if we look at all of God's commandments and the things that he encourages us to do, most of these things are based upon relationships, based upon walking in love and treating people right and treating people the way that you want to be treated. And so God within himself has relationship. I mean, you know that there's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And God within himself has relationship. And how many you know Father, Son, and Holy Spirit have a beautiful relationship? A, he's a triune God, but they are three separate entities and personalities that are one. And so there's this beautiful dance of relationship even within God himself. And then when God created us, he said, we've created man in our image and after our likeness. And so what he's, what he's been after the whole time is this place of fellowship and relationship. When Adam and Eve walked in the garden in the cool of the day, how many of God came down? He spent time with them. He hung out with them. He was a father to them. And so the, the, the purpose of all of this is relationship. But one of the things that's going to be the most attacked in your life is your relationship. Because uh, the enemy does not like a relationship. He does not like unity. Uh, he does not like fellowship and forgiveness and all these types of things. So he's always going to be trying to attack relationships because when you relate, how many of you know when your relationships are off, uh, how many of you know makes your life so difficult? It just does, man. And, you know, your relationship with God and, you know, but what we've come to find out with the gospel, how I many you know God's never off in his relationship with you? Uh, he's not. He's never, he's not mad at you. But you think that he's mad at us, and you think that he's disappointed in us, and that we end up suffering as far as us enjoying our relationship with God. But the quality of your life is based upon uh, based upon your relationship. In Jeremiah chapter nine, verse twenty three, it says, "Thus says the Lord: Let not the wise man glory in his wisdom; let not the mighty man glory in his might; let not the rich man glory in his riches; but let him glory, let him who glories glory in this, or boast in this." that he understands and knows me. God's like, man, it's not how strong you are. It's not how much money you got. Uh, it's not how much wisdom you got. If you want to boast in something, boast in the fact that you know me. And, and how many know the, the, literally everybody in this room, the most valuable thing you have in your life is your relationship with God? You don't have anything more valuable than that. That is your most valuable thing. Because your relationship with God will outlast your physical body, your relationship with God will outlast all your relationships. Your relationship with God will outlast your boots that you walk on, the clothes that you wear. This, this relationship is eternal, and this is the most valuable thing that you have in your life. Um, in, in John 17 and in verse 3, Jesus is talking here, and he's talking about eternal life. And, and man, he, he, he words this in the most unusual way, but it's awesome. He says in John chapter uh, John seventeen and verse three he says this is this is eternal life this is perpetual life that word eternal is more than just uh, 
this is eternal life, this is perpetual life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ the Lord sent. So Jesus says perpetual life, eternal life, is relationship with God the Father. And how many know that's what Jesus came down demonstrating? He came down demonstrating that he had a Father, and he was inviting people into relationship with God as a Father. I mean, you know, that's the primary thing that ticked people off worse than anything else about Jesus is that he said God was his dad. I mean, that's why they wanted to kill him. They weren't, they weren't sweating, you know, they were, they were cool with the miracles. They were cool with, you know, with even some of all. But, man, when Jesus said that God is my father, they pick up stones and they're ready to kill him because relationship is offensive to religion. It's offensive to religion to think that you can know God, be intimate with God, and have a relationship with God. Religion is okay with the form, okay with the formality, okay with the robes, okay with the synagogues, okay with all the structures of man. But when you come in talking about having an intimate relationship, religion's like, ah, no, 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 we don't like that. And so that was one of the primary things that, that Jesus was attacked for by the Pharisees and Sadducees. But how many know it was Jesus' relationship with the Father that produced the miracles, that produced the signs and the wonders, that produced the wisdom and the leading and all these types of things? It was his, he, was, he had an intimate relationship with God all the days of his life, uninterrupted, right? There were times when Jesus would go away and he would pray and he would spend time with God. When John the Baptist got uh, beheaded, he went off and spent time with God. When he was uh, about to pick his 12 disciples, he went off and he prayed and he spent time with God. Jesus had this personal, intimate relationship with God that gave him the strength to do everything else that he did. And he came showing us that we can have that same type of relationship with God as a father. In uh, John 17 and verse 20, there's some astonishing statements that are made um, in this passage. And if you'll drop down just a little bit, and this is Jesus He's praying in verse 20, he says, I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. How I many of that's us? He was praying for the people that were there, but he also knew 2,000 years later there would be people like us that would be listening to these people's words. He said, that they all may be one as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be one in us. So he's like, I'm one with God. And, I, and I'm inviting these people to be one with me so that we can be one together with God. How many of God has invited us into the Trinity through his son Jesus? And that's a big thing because you have to understand that Jesus right now, he's in a human earthly, he's in a human body on the right hand of God. God Almighty has forever joined himself to humanity. It's amazing. Like it's astounding. Like, it, it wigs angels out. They can't believe that God chose to do this. You know, you can see it in the scriptures. What is man that you're so mindful of, man? Why would God choose to be with the dust of the earth? But yet he has, and this is his heart, and this is his desire, and uh, bring us into a place of oneness and relationship. It says, the, that the world may believe that you sent me, and the glory which you gave me I have given them, that they may be one, just as we are one, I and them, and you and me, that they may be perfect in one. So he's describing something. God's describing a level of relationship and intimacy greater than anything any of us have ever known. 
The closest thing we have down here is marriage. Marriage is an example of Christ in His church. But we're talking about a level of oneness that honestly is going to be unlike anything we've ever experienced. But once again, talking about relationship. And then he goes on to say that the world may know that you've sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. I mean, you know, you don't get a second-rate love from God the Father. Can't get an amen. You get the same type of love that Jesus got. Father, I desire that they also, whom you gave me, may be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory which you've given me. For you loved me before the foundation of the world, O righteous Father. The world has not known you, but I have known you, and these have known that you sent me, and I have declared to them your name, and will declare it, that the love which you loved me may be in them, and I in them. Oh, gosh. Like, I mean, we could just... That's some amazing stuff right there, right? Just so powerful, right? And so, but we're not going to dwell there because we have a place where we can go. And then John, in, in, in John 20 and verse 17, Jesus is about to ascend um, to heaven and someone's about to touch him and he makes this statement. Jesus said to her, I think it's to Mary Magdalene, he said, don't, don't cling to me for I have not yet ascended to my father, but go to my brethren and say to them, I am ascending to my father and your father, to my God and your God. Everybody, how many of y'all that sounds like relationship? Good news is you've been invited into a family. Amen? And you've been invited into a family that never dies, and you've been invited into a family that's going to live on forever. Best news in the world. And so let's turn to Hebrews chapter 8. And, you know, we, we talk a lot about grace. We talk a lot. Is it hot? Somebody say no. All right. Deal with it, Jeremiah. Turn my little fan on. Turn my little fan on. Praise God. They were making fun of me in South Dakota about that. Because they watch our stuff, you know. Anyway, praise God. Um, I roll my... Come to find out, this isn't even my shirt. This is Ethan's shirt. You know, this is what happens when, you're, when, you're, when your child grows up to be a man. Then you wear, like, the same clothes. I was like, dude, I thought this was my shirt. I'm sorry. I was like, I was like wow, I must have gotten this for Christmas. <laughs> I was like, praise God, this fits me, man. Stacy's like, that's Ethan's shirt. I was like, oh, man. Like, I didn't know. I'm sorry. Praise God. Um, but, um, so, we, we talk a lot about grace. We talk a lot about the gospel, and so we should. And we want, you know, we, we understand the doctrine of grace. We understand the fact that we, we've been made the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Um, and we preach that. We'll continue to preach that. That is the gospel. Let me stop for a moment. Just preach that for just one second here. I mean, you know, if you've received Jesus as Lord and Savior, you're right with God. And your rightness with God is not based upon your behavior. Your rightness with God is based upon the fact that you've been given a new nature. You're a new creation in Christ Jesus. You are the righteousness of God in Christ. You have now received Jesus. Jesus has become your righteousness. And that's why Jesus said that, that I will be in them and they will be in me. I mean, you, know, you are in Christ. Christ is in you, and the person you used to be, our, our filthy rags of self-righteousness have passed away, and now you're right with God. And what does that mean? That means your sins and lawless deeds he will remember no more. God is not holding your sin against you. God is not imputing your sin to you. God has already imputed your sin to Jesus Christ 2,000 years ago. And so that the sin issue has been settled in heaven. Now, there's still consequences for doing dumb stuff. 
How many of you know you do dumb stuff, you get dumb results? The sin will punish you for sin. God doesn't punish you for sin. Very important to understand these things. We preach it all the time because it's important to get it down into you. And so we understand that. We understand we're no longer under the law. We're now under grace. So these realities are given to you, but they're not, they're not just given to you so that you can intellectually know them and so that you can have an understanding of doctrine and you can be a grace person or whatever, all those things. I mean, you know, all of these things are given to you for the purpose of relationship. The reason that you've been made right with God is so that you can come to Him with boldness and have relationship with Him that cannot be messed up by your own weakness. Because if our, if our relationship with God is messed up by our own weakness, then we're in trouble. And, and if you'll look at the, in the Old Covenant, you know, they were in a constant state of, of coming to God, backsliding away from God. Coming to God, backsliding away from God. They had a different covenant than we have. Not the same covenant. And so as a result of that, their relationship with God was based upon their own ability to do the right thing. And I mean, they all failed. The best of them, David, failed miserably. Because we are, we're not good at doing the right thing. <laughs> we're not. Okay? But we have a Savior who is good at doing the right thing. And he rescued us. And then as we walk with him in relationship, I mean, you, know, you get better at doing the right thing. Can I get an amen for growth? You do, man. You do. You get better at it, but you still can't hang your hat on it in terms of your relationship with God. You can do it, man. It's, because if you do that, then the enemy is going to kick your butt. Your rightness with God is not based upon you. Your rightness with God is based upon Jesus. But all of this doctrine and this teaching and this understanding of the gospel is given to you for the purpose of intimacy and relationship with God. Because what, what can happen is you can take this doctrine and not be intimate with God. I've done it. I bet everybody in this room has probably done it at some point. You, you, can, you, can, you can say, well, I'm the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. You know, I'm, you know, that's cool. And, and what can happen is, is what is meant to be an embrace to you of love and affection and relationship can turn into a doctrinal concept that gives you an excuse to act dumb. And to not do the right thing and to not draw near to the Lord in relationship. And um, it, I, I think anyone who has gotten hold of this, especially those who have come out of legalism, you've had, you've had periods of dumbness. Right? We've had times when we were, we were not necessarily using it for relationship. But, but what I want to encourage you is the sweetest part of your life is that place of intimacy and relationship. And all these things are being taught to you so that you can come boldly to the throne of grace to attain help in time of need. Can I get an amen? And so the purpose of the covenant is relationship. And so, um, now here's the thing. If you abuse it, God's still going to love you. God still, nothing changes on God's end if you abuse it. Nothing changes. Because he is not a liar. He said, your sins and lawless deeds I'll remember no more. The cross was a success. So God doesn't change. But here's the thing and we'll probably take a look at here in a little bit. It will change the way you see yourself, and it will also change the way you see God. It will have an impact on your heart. And it, there's also consequences as well. 
But it doesn't change God, and it doesn't change the way God feels about you. All right? It's important to understand that. Let's take a look at that covenant real quick. Hebrews chapter 8 and verse 10, it says, For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their mind and write them on their hearts, inside of you. <clears throat> the desire of, to walk in love, to be led by the Spirit, to do, to do the right thing. I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Relationship. None of them shall teach his neighbor, say, saying, Know the Lord, for all shall know me from the least of them to the greatest of them. See, in, in, in the covenants of the past, how I many there's always one group of people that were closer to God than anybody else? Who was the closest to God? The high priest and the prophets, even the kings, and then the Levitical priesthood, and then the common people. You follow me? So there was always a tiered system in the old. But in the new, how I many know? No one in this room has more of a right to God than anybody else. No one in this room has more righteousness than anyone else. No one in this room has more Christ in them than anybody else. How I many know oh, God has made this thing where each and every individual person in this room can have a vibrant, personal relationship with God. They can hear God for themselves. Can I get an amen? The whole purpose of the new covenant is so that, you know, certainly we have leaders, we have ministry gifts, and those things are wonderful, but the purpose of all of those things, even the purpose of coming to church, is so that you can have your own personal relationship with God, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, every moment, every hour. Amen. And so, you know, not they're going to teach everyone saying, know, know the Lord. And then he goes on to say, for all shall know me, all, from the least of them to the greatest of them, Right? So all shall know me. How many of you this sounds like relationship, right? No one can get close. See, the reason we're having church this morning is you brought God in here with you when you came. The building is not the church. We are the church. We gather together so we can learn and, and all these types of things, but we are the church. So relation, the whole purpose of the new covenant is relationship. And then the clause at the end, which I've already quoted, but it's the most important thing because this is what makes relationship possible is the success of the cross. Because I will be merciful to their unrighteousness and their sins and their lawless deeds, I will remember no more. God is not holding your sin against you. Good news, right? When you know God's not holding your sin against you, how many of you are more inclined to want to spend time with him? When you know God's not mad at you, how many of you are more inclined to want to spend time with you? with them, right? Because I, I dare say most people in this room, you don't enjoy being around someone who's mad at you. How I many know you don't enjoy being around someone who's disappointed in you? You don't. God has promised you that he would never be mad at you in Isaiah. It's one of the most amazing promises. It, 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 it's, it's, the, it's, the, it's the prophecy of the new covenant, the covenant of peace. Now, there is wrath for people who reject Jesus, but that's not right now. But there's no wrath for those that are in Christ, and there's no disappointment. So when you know, when this gets solid in you, it sets the stage for a relationship. And here's the thing. There's a growth, in, and I'm trying not to, there's a growth in this when you understand when you make a mistake, it's time to run to God. It's not time to run from God. It's time to run to God. And as this gets established in your life, 
you'll start to find out when you mess up, you stop running from God and you start running to God. Because when you, you, you can know God more accurately as Savior in your weakness than your strength. And so that's, that's a mind renewal process. And, but, but the purpose of this new covenant is relationship. All of it's for the purpose of relationship. So Philippians, let's turn to Philippians real quick. And I just want to solidify this before we move on. We talk about these things a lot, but you have to hear these things a lot. You, you have to keep hearing it because you've got to flip the little circuit breakers in your head back over to grace. <laughs> because life flips it over to works. And, and because, you, yeah, so yeah. We want to get you Jesus conscious every time you come to church. Every time you listen to a message, we need you Jesus conscious. Get your eyes off of you. You know what I'm saying? I mean, you know, we didn't come here to talk about us today, right? You know, we didn't, we didn't come here to look at our mistakes. We didn't come here to look at our successes. We came here to look at Jesus. And as you see him, man, that's when everything cool happens in your life, right? But Philippians chapter 3 and verse 9, Paul's talking, you know, this chapter is him stepping out of legalism and stepping over into the gospel. And he says, and be found in him not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith that I may know him. Boy, when you know that you're right with God, it's easy to know him. Amen? Now, let's turn to Proverbs chapter 4. And now we're going to switch gears for a little bit. I'm going to step into something a little bit deeper in terms of relationship. Here's the thing. I mean, you don't have to guard your righteousness. You don't have to guard your righteousness. And I'm talking about the righteousness that's been given to you through Jesus Christ. I mean, you, know, you don't have to guard the success of the cross. I mean, you know, the cross was successful with, without you, right? And so when you become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, he that knew no sin became sin so that we could become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Once you've been made righteous, you don't have to guard that. It'll guard you. It'll guard you. It does guard you. And if you learn how to use it, which is how you mature spiritually, there is no spiritual maturity without becoming skillful in the righteousness, which is of faith. It becomes a breastplate that protects you. It becomes shoes on your feet. When you start to understand this righteousness that's been given to you as a gift is the same righteousness that Jesus enjoys as the only begotten Son of God. And so you don't have to guard your righteousness. Right? I mean, if you, if you make a mistake, I mean, you're still righteous. You don't have to guard that. Right? I'm just, I'm nailing this point. Um, but you do have to guard your heart. Because the condition of your heart will determine the quality of intimacy and relationship you have with God and with each other. Now, according to Ezekiel, when you become born again, how many of that stony heart is taken out and you're given a, a, a soft, fleshy heart, right? And so you get a brand new heart. But what you have to understand is that your spirit is perfectly righteous. How many of your mind is a work in progress, right? I mean, that's one of the reasons we're coming here today is we're servicing our mind with truth. We're, we're not being conformed to this world. We're being transformed by the renewing of our minds. We're, 
We're finding out that we're right with God. We're finding out all the things that have been given to us. Well, your soul and your spirit, your soul is your mind, your will, and your emotions. Your soul and your spirit, when, they, when it connects and touches, that place where connection made, make, it happens is where your heart resides. And, and you've been given a brand new heart, but how many of Scripture tells you to guard your heart? And how many know your heart has the ability to get hard? As a righteous person. According to Scripture. So the enemy can't penetrate your born-again spirit. He can't touch your righteousness. But he's always trying to fill your heart with things that are going to choke the word, with things that are going to cause your heart to become hard. And the reason he tries to do that is because he's trying to rob you of intimacy and relationship with God. I've had times in my life where my heart has become hard. Even in ministry, even as a child of God, even understanding the gospel. And, and what's happened is, I, here's the thing. How I many you know you can go through the motions of anything without feeling it? If you've done it enough. Wait till I'm through mine. How I many you know you can, you can lift your hands and sing and think about fried chicken? Because we all have. <laughs> right? You can lift your hands and sing. You can hit every note. And you can be thinking about your grocery list. You can be thinking about what you got to do, what you got to say next week. Oh, man, I got to finish that laundry. Oh, man, why is Jeremiah so off key? Oh, God, he wore a long sleeve shirt today. It's going to be hot. It's going to be cold. <laughs> All these things, right? So, but what I'm saying is, how many know your heart can be engaged in the act of worship? Or your heart cannot be, and you can be going through the motions. It's reality. I mean, you, know, you can talk to somebody and be engaged in what they're saying. Or, I mean, you, know, you can be going through the motions. Uh-huh, yeah, uh-huh, yeah. All the men said, oh, Jesus. <laughs> uh-huh, yeah, yeah, uh-huh, yeah. And then when your wife quizzes you, about something you're supposed to know, you were in uh-huh, yeah mode, and you have no idea what's happening this weekend, even though she's been telling you for three weeks. I can hear my wife say, amen, upstairs. <laughs> yeah, it's true, it's true, it's true. And, and you know, how many you know you can, you can have a conversation with someone and not give them the fullness of your attention? And... And everything that you have in your life, you can do it from your heart or you can do it from memory and do it from just kind of this robotic type of thing. Because our hearts can get removed from what we're doing and we're not doing it out of our heart. Everybody tracking me here? But when you're doing something from your heart, you get all the benefits of it. And primarily, I'm talking about relationship. When something is it's, it's coming out of your heart. So in this, this passage, it says, guard your heart with all diligence, for out of it springs the issues of life. The, the, the way that you experience the world that you live in 
has a lot to do with the condition of your heart. And so we want to guard our hearts from things that are going to cause our hearts to grow hard. That is a part of our responsibility. You do not have to guard your righteousness, but you do have to guard your heart. And so let's turn to Hebrews chapter 3, please. If you're turning turning your Bibles. And I'm not going to exhaustively talk about the things that harden our hearts right now. Um, I'm going to hit on just a couple things. But if we want intimacy and relationship with God that is life-giving, we're going to have to keep our hearts soft before the Lord in relationship. And that will take some effort. You know, in, in a lot of ways, your heart's like a garden. What you sow into it, man. You know, I, and I, our, our garden here at the church is one of the, the greatest examples. You know, we have some awesome gardeners here. You know, we, I'm just so thankful for Paul and Dan and for everyone else that puts in the work into it. But how many know that, like, if we just sowed the seed and we didn't pull the weeds we'd have no harvest. Because it's not enough to sow the seed. It must be guarded. And the same for church. Just because you come to church and hear the word, that's great. That makes you the minority. But it's not enough to really bring forth the kingdom. That's why it's a narrow path. Salvation isn't a narrow path. Whosoever will can call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. I don't think salvation is a super hard thing. It's actually not. It's easier to get saved than it is to go to McDonald's. It's free. You know what I'm saying? I mean, it's true. All you got to do is believe and call upon the name of the Lord. Salvation is easy. I believe heaven will be, there will be multitudes of people in heaven, innumerable people in heaven, right? I believe God's going to win. I believe that. So I don't believe this narrow path is talking about uh, a heaven and hell situation or a born again or not born again situation. But what I do believe is, come on, actual, the actual path of life in this life. I mean, you know, not many people are going to walk in the life that God has on earth. It's crowded. It's not easy. It's, uh, it's tough. I mean, and, and, and really, I think the hardest thing about it is just the distractions. That is, that's probably the hardest thing is just everything wants your attention. And, but there's only one thing that's going to really bring life to you. And when I'm talking about Jesus, how many of we sit at Jesus' feet, we hear his word, we have that place of relationship with him, right? And so I believe that narrow path of life, not talking about being born again or not being born again, it's talking about this place of life with the Lord. And so if you want to have a close, intimate relationship with the Lord, just like it's going to take effort to keep the weeds out of that garden, it's going to take effort to keep the weeds out of your heart. Everybody tracking me here? Once again, your righteousness does not need to be protected. You got to keep saying that so the enemy don't try to slip some condemnation on you. But the thing that will need to be protected is your heart, what you put your attention on, what you put your focus on. And I know everyone in here, you've had moments in your life of deep connection with the Lord, haven't you? And then you've had moments of, in your life of not so deep connection with the Lord. And maybe you still went to church, maybe you still read your Bible, maybe you still kind of did the right things, but from a heart perspective, it wasn't there. Now, you've been taught, 
many of us have been taught that you were, you know, you're a backslidden, and there, there's no such thing as a backslidden Christian. I mean, you just can't do it. It's not biblical. It's scripturally impossible. As an Old Testament person, you could backslide. You, what are you going to do? You slide this way, Jesus is still there. You slide this way, he's still there. You slide all the way over to the ditch, he's still there. You can't slide away from him, man. Slip, slide, and away. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> you can't do it. Now, you can slide over into stupid and experience stupid, but Jesus will be right there saying, you're better than this. <laughs> and he will, he will be with you. He's not leaving you. He's not a fair-weather God, okay? But, so we've been taught that, you know, I just don't feel it, and I just blah, blah, blah. I think, you know, God's mad at me. I'm backslidden. That's all garbage. God's not mad at you. God's with you. You can't get any closer to God than what you are. He is, he's inside of you. Okay, he's closer to you than anyone else you have in your life. He's below your sin. He's joined to you, right? Sometimes you feel it, sometimes you don't. But what can happen is our hearts can be overcharged with the cares and the affairs of this life, lust of other things, desire for other things, and all the stuff. And then our hearts can become hard. And we're not actively enjoying that intimacy with the Lord that's life-giving. Like, we're going through the motions. We know what to do. We know what to say. We got our cliches. You know, we got all our cool stuff. We got our bumper stickers. You know, we know what's up. We're Christians. But, we're, but the benefits aren't there. You see, the benefits are out of relationship. How I many of he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him? That doesn't mean that he's hanging a carrot over your head trying to get you to do the right thing. It means that when you hang out with God, you get cool stuff. You know what I'm saying? Like, you know, when my kids are with me, like, when I spend time with my kids, for the most part, I take them places. Like, we, and, and we don't have to go anyplace extravagant. Like, my daughter, we have been to the pet store probably 100 times. Like, but she, I take them out. Like, we go to, and I live in Griselle, man. We go, we got, we go to the pet store, we go to Kroger. We go to uh, Starbucks, and then we go to the dollar store. I mean, that's what's up. That's what we got, you know. But we still go. And so, like, and so if you're hanging out with me, you're probably going to get a toy. You know what I'm saying? You, you probably, you, and you might, you're probably going to get a piece of chocolate or something, you know, some ice cream. I don't know. But, and a cake pop. That's, he's right. He's right. And cake pop. That's right. And, but the point being is, in, in, or being around me, there are benefits. Everybody tracking here, and, and this is a, not a great example because the benefits with God are far greater than the benefits with me. But my point is, like, when you're around God, how many know you get peace and joy? You know, I've been, I'm in a place in my life right now where I'm really, this is where I'm pressing in is relationship. I'm more excited about relationship than I am about ministry. I'm more excited about relationship. Everything else in my life, I just don't, I just don't care as much about. Like, you know, I'm just, I need God. <laughs> you know, like, I need him, and, I, and, I'm, and I'm pursuing, maintaining the softness of my heart so I can have this heart-to-heart contact. Because here's the thing. In intimacy, you get direction. In intimacy, you hear what he tells you to do. And, and to me, that's more valuable than anything in the world because I don't know how to live this life. I've proven it. But he knows how to live it. He knows how to be a husband. He knows how to be a father. He knows how to be a friend. He knows how to be a pastor. He knows how to drive. 
You know what I'm saying? I mean, like, everything I need is help. And so, like, how many know when you have a place of intimacy with the Lord, direction gets easier when your heart is soft. But what happens a lot of times is the enemy will bring in the cares and affairs of this life and we'll get distracted by other things and we put other things more important than God and we have all these priorities, put people more than God, money more, than, more important than God, things, time, blah, blah, blah. And then God's down here and then you, then you get in a crunch where you've got to have God show up. But your heart has not been able to hear what God's been telling you to do. Now, what's cool about God is He still loves you and is with you and wants to rescue you. But a part of you hearing from Him and having direction from Him is maintaining softness of heart with Him. Amen? How I many of oh, you don't want to tell God no over and over again? If you do, how I many know oh, that can harden your heart? And He'll quit telling you to do it. Because he's a gentleman, and he's not going to berate you. And then next thing you know, there's a hardness of heart that's in that area, and it's not. And it's just because you just chose not to do it. it I mean, you know, no condemnation because he still loves you, and you're still the righteousness of God. And he's still with you. But then, how many know? Then you can find yourself in a situation where you need to hear God. And I'm not saying you got to have perfect obedience in order to have softness of heart. I'm not trying to bring in this sense of, of performance or anything like this, but how many know relationship is based upon communication and respect? You know? Like, how many know it's easier to have a relationship with somebody who respects you? How does someone show you they respect you? They listen to what you have to say. And they honor what you have to say. You know, just like Eli when he was out here and he was worshiping today. And they were kind of worshiping, kind of smacking each other with flags, you know. And I'm, and I'm okay with a little bit of both. <laughs> but then it became more about smacking with flags, and they're up front. And so I come over, and so I'm going to correct him a little bit. And so I'm going to say, hey, buddy, you know, we're not, we're not going to do that. But you can worship, right? And so because he respects me, he listened to what I said. And he changed what he was doing. But then I came over, and I kept encouraging him, because his heart is soft, and I didn't want him to feel, I mean, oh, correction's not fun, ain't nobody in here enjoy correction, but number one, I love him more than his ability to do the right thing, but after I corrected him, and he respected what I said, and he listened to me, I came back over, and I just kept making sure that he was okay, how many of you know that's just being a dad, a father, right, and how many of you know, see, God's the same way, because when we ignore him, in an area, and how many know you can be soft in one area and hard in another area? You can be so, and see, here's the challenge. This is a challenge. You can think, well, man, I'm super, you know, super soft in this and that, but then hard when it comes to your marriage, or hard when it comes to money, or hard when it comes to food. <laughs> that was mine. <laughs> But, or, or relationships, or whatever, but you can really be vitally connected with God in other areas. And this is something really important to say. Your ministry gift has nothing at all to do with your, your heart and your relationship with God. 
Because you can function in a ministry gift. You can, everybody here, you got gifts you can function in that God gave you. And you can function in that gift and your heart be hard. I have been there. And that's why it's very important not for your ministry to become your relationship with God. Your ministry is something totally separate from your relationship with God. Gosh, very important to understand that. Um, but we want to maintain this softness of heart, right? And so, once again, your righteousness does not have to be guarded. Your sonship, your daughtership does not have to be guarded. But your heart does, right? And so, in Hebrews chapter 3 and in verse 7, it's speaking here about hardness of heart. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion of the day of trial in the wilderness, where your fathers tested me, tried me, and saw my works 40 years, therefore I was angry with that generation. I mean, you know, there was anger in the Old Covenant, for sure. And said, they always go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways. So I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Therefore, brethren, beware, brethren, lest there be an any of you an evil heart of unbelief and departing from the living God, but exhort one another daily while it's called today. So he's, they're taking an Old Testament example where the children of Israel hardened their heart and bringing it over into the New Testament, encouraging us not to do the same thing. And here's, a, here's, a, here's an amazing thing. That just be, I mean, all those people saw miracles and signs and wonders, but, then, but their hearts still became hard. Pharaoh saw miracles, signs, and wonders. His heart still became hard. And so softness of heart is something that it, it really, but basically what it kind of boils down to is I'm just trusting the Lord. I mean, you know, when God tells you to do something and gives you direction, he's not doing it to hurt you. I mean, he's doing it because he loves you. And if you trust him that he's good, then you're more inclined to listen to what he says. Amen? And then it, and then it goes on and he gives one of the examples of, of the things that produces hardness of heart. It says, today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. Hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. So, sin cannot rob you of your salvation. Sin can't rob you of your righteousness. Sin can't rob you of your sonship. Sin can't rob, sin can't rob you, spiritually speaking, because Jesus conquered sin. But sin has the ability to harden your heart. And that is one of the things that makes it dangerous. Now, the primary thing that makes it dangerous is sin brings death, like it always brings death. Sin, sin will kill a Christian just like it kills a non-Christian. Sin is death. It'll kill. I mean, it's just, it's death. But I don't, I don't want to focus on that one. I want to focus on there's a deceitfulness about sin that will make your heart hard towards God. What are you talking about, Jeremiah? Here's the thing. When you sin... It does not change the way God feels about you. You just got to know that. Why? Because the cross is a success. Just like when my daughter has a dirty diaper, it doesn't change the way I feel about my daughter. She's more valuable than her mistakes, right? But 
Sin will change the way you feel about God. It will. Because what happens is when, when, you are, when we are violating our conscience and we're doing something that we know is wrong and we keep doing it, eventually it won't feel wrong anymore. Because in that place, your heart has been hardened. You think to yourself, like we're seeing all kinds of ministries fall right now. We're seeing all kinds of ministries caught up in craziness. How does somebody get there? You know what I'm saying? Like, I mean, and I don't want to, like, I don't like focusing on this stuff. I don't like dwelling on it. I don't like talking about it a lot. But but I want to touch it just for the sake of, of, of teaching. You know, we got these people who are powerful, you know, men of God and just doing wonderful things and sold out to God. But then we look and the, and the sheet pulls back and we got dudes, you know, committing adultery for years with all kinds of, you know, people or whatever. And, and how do they get there? Well, I'll tell you, it didn't happen overnight. It, it happened through the hardening of the heart. So what happened was, you know, how I many of oh, God's never going to lead you down that path? And when you make it, and how I many of you have to make a decision to go on that path in here before you do it outwardly? So you think about it, think about it, think about it, thinking about it, and God's like, come on, we're better than this. Let's not do this. The word's saying, don't do this, blah, blah, blah. And then you just kind of like shut that voice down, keep thinking about it, keep thinking about it, and just a little bit, a little bit, a little bit. And then, and then next thing you know, here you are. And then next thing you know, you're here for years. What happened? Well, and this, you know, this person's still preaching the gospel. This person's still, maybe not the gospel, this person's still preaching or whatever. And how can they do that? Well, the deceitfulness of sin has tricked them, and their heart has grown hard, and they are operating out of a place of blindness. How I many you know that it's it's not love to do that? How I many you know that's not love? And and how I many you know that hurts people? And all and, and sin hurts people. You know, it hurts the individual doing it. It hurts other people. Sin is just selfishness. But there's a deceitfulness in sin that it will deceive somebody and change the way they see, and they will not be seeing clearly. They'll be seeing falsely. And and see, all these guys that just fell, they're still the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. They're still going to heaven. They have not now, they'll, you know, their rewards will be impacted, according to Scripture, you know. Um, You know, but their salvation, they may lose, you know, all these things, but they're not going to lose their if they're born again, if they're saved. Um, but the point I'm trying to make here is that the one of the reasons you don't want to sin as a person that understands grace and understands the new covenant is you don't want to jack your heart up. You don't want to harden your heart. You want to keep your heart soft before the Lord. Because going back to the benefits, why? Because that's where the good stuff is at, man. That heart-to-heart relationship, direction, leading. I mean, how valuable is it to have the creator of the universe inside of you telling you how to live your life? I want the still, small voice. I want to know what the Lord's telling me to do. I want to know the proper way to be a father, to be a husband, to be a friend, to be a pastor, to be a leader. And I 
can't afford to have my heart hardened because if my heart is hardened, then it's just me and I'm not enough. And a lot of, and when the heart is hardened, there's not like this place of like, oh, I don't even know how to explain it. Like I get to this place and I lose words. Like when the heart is soft, I mean, like you're receiving strength and you're giving and you're receiving and there's just like this vital union that's beautiful and life-giving. But the challenge with the deceitfulness of sin is it can fool you and lull you into a sleep and you can think you're in a place that you're not. And your heart be hard. Now, once again, how many know you don't have to protect your righteousness? Can I get an amen? Got to keep bringing that back up. And I'm not saying you got to live this flawless, perfect life to have a relationship with God. Oh, I made a mistake. Now God's mad. Listen, God's never mad. God's never upset. The breakdown's never with God. When your heart is hard as stone, God still wants you. He loves you. God never turns his back on you. If God were to turn his back on you, he'd have to turn his back on his son because his son is in you. Everybody understand that? God ain't rejecting Jesus, okay? And, and his son is in you. But what happens is we turn away from him. Whether outwardly or inwardly. How I many of you can turn away inwardly and still be doing all the, out, good, the, the right things outwardly, but inwardly your heart's far from the Lord? Hallelujah. This is one of these fun ones, yeah. <laughs> Yes. 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 Let's talk about that for a minute because that's a really good point. God, we're not called to live. Praise God for miracles. All right. And we want to honor miracles, signs, wonders. We want them. But the principal thing is wisdom, which is what Trey's talking about. And what wisdom is, is it's a relationship with God and doing what God tells you to do. I mean, you know, when, when you're walking with the Lord in a place of intimacy and relationship, there, you don't do the dumb stuff. And when you don't do the dumb stuff, there, there's not, I mean, you know, things are better. I mean, you know, from a financial perspective, when you're led by God in your finances, how many of your finances are better? How I many you know when you're led by God in your relationships, your relationships are better? How I many know when you're led by God in the health of your body, the health of your body's better? So what he, what he's what Trey's sharing here is out of a place of relationship, wisdom guides you, and your life is better. Everybody tracking me here? But when there's a hardness of heart, a lot of times what happens is we lose frequency with what God's saying, and then we're just kind of kind of trying to do our own thing, and then we need a miracle. And we get in trouble. And how many of God's faithful to come bring you one because he loves you? Can I get an amen? And so I'm not, I'm not discounting. The, God will always rescue you, right? I'm not saying that he won't. He loves you. Um, but at the same time, there's repercussions for bad decisions. How many of there's wasted time? How many there's wasted finances? There's wasted relationships. And God wants to spare us from all those things. And the way he spares us from those things is through communion with us. He says, let me show you how to live. I can teach you how to live. And let me share this with you because God showed me this in the spirit. And so I had, I had a, a period in my life where I was making some mistakes and I was struggling in an area of my life, right? 
And so, how many know that there's a lot of different ways that God speaks? The primary way God speaks is the Word of God. Can I get an amen for that? Come on, give me an amen for the Word. It's always going to be the Word. It's never going to be contrary to the Word. But secondarily, God will, God will speak to you with a still, small voice. Um, and then another thing, God will, God will, one of the ways that God will speak to you is through images. God will show you a picture. And God, will show, and God speaks to me very visually. I would say most of the things, the two primary ways God leads me are I just have a presence or absence of peace. And in my spirit, I just have an unction. And then the next way is visually. Like I, I visually, but then there's also the still, small voice. God will speak to you through dreams. God will speak to you through visions. God will speak to you out of a preacher's mouth. God will speak to you out of somebody else's mouth. God will speak to you through nature. God's always talking. But in this time when I had that struggle, God showed me a picture. And what he showed me, because I just made a mistake, right? I just violated my conscience, okay? I'll just tell you what it was. I was struggling with pornography. You know, this is years ago before I was set free. And I was struggling with pornography. And I had an addiction to it. And so I had just partaken of some pornography. And what God had shown me, he showed me a hand that was ripped open. And I saw a heart-shaped wound in my hand. And what, and what, what, he, what, it, based, and what he was telling me is I had just hurt my heart. Now, I didn't hurt him. I didn't hurt my relationship with him. Everybody understand that? How many still loves me? He don't see me as bad or dirty or none of those things. He loves me. But I had hurt. I had hurt because I'd went back to it. And I'd been free from it for, for, for a season. I went back to it, right? And, you know, this can go for any area of your life where you're struggling, right? And so, now here's the thing. Now what was cool is I recovered. And I came out. See, I mean, if I'd have kept coming back, it had turned into a callus. And when, how many of you, if you get a blister on your hand, it eventually will turn into a callus if you keep, if you keep, you know, working with it over and over again or whatever. Um, but what he's shown me is I had violated my own conscience because I knew it was wrong. But if I'd have kept on and kept on and kept on, it eventually grown into hardness of heart. And I don't know if anybody's ever been in a place of addiction before, but, you know, when you're in, and there's all different kinds of addiction, man. I mean, all different kinds, not just, you know, there's drug addiction, sexual addiction, food addiction, alcohol addiction, uh, sleep addiction, work addiction, entertainment addiction, anger addiction. I mean, you know, if you allow that. But when you find yourself in the darkness that those things provide, and then you're miserable, you can't call out on the name of the Lord and he'll come rescue you. Can I get an Amen. Always, always. But what would be better is to not wound your heart and protect your heart. So when you're doing the right thing, you're not, see, and we've been taught by legalism, we're trying to stay in heaven. We're trying to make sure we're still saved. You know, make sure you do everything right. Because if you do something wrong, oh, crap, not going to heaven. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And it's not like that. But what you are doing is just like you're protecting a garden where seed has been sown. You're protecting your heart and trying to keep your heart soft towards God. And here's the thing, folks. This is important. When my heart is soft towards God, my heart's soft towards you. And, and towards the people that are close to me. But when, how I many know, when your heart gets hard, how I many know we withdraw from people? You withdraw from fellowship. 
you, you don't want to be around anybody when, you're, when, your heart, when, you, when there's, a, there's a hardness to the heart. And here's the thing. How many know when you withdraw from, and, and how many know you can withdraw and still be in the same room? You don't, you don't have to withdraw physically for it to happen. But when you withdraw from God and you withdraw from people, how many know that is a very vulnerable place? Because you're not receiving the strength that you need. And I mean, a predator always tries to separate the prey from the flock. The enemy's always going to try to isolate you because when you're isolated, that's when you're weak. You know, every person that ever became, you know, a serial killer or a, you know, a, a shooter or whatever, the, the common denominator amongst all those people is they're isolated. Because hum, human beings don't do well separated from everybody and everything. Because the enemy has a field day with us. And I'm not saying that you're going to be a serial killer or a shooter. Just clear the air right there. I'm not saying that. But what I'm showing you is that same destructive attack, right? And so we don't violate our conscience to keep our hearts soft with God. You tracking me here? And here's the thing. What might violate your conscience might not violate my conscience. You might have liberty that I don't have. I might have liberty that you don't have. And that's where we can't turn the pulpit into a place where the preacher just tells you what's right and wrong based upon his own conviction. So sad. It happens so much in the body of Christ, and it's wrong. The pre a preacher should not preach his conviction. He should preach the word of God. But you preachers stand up and just hit something or whatever. And, and it may be wrong for him to do that, but it's not wrong for somebody else to do that, right? How many of that's between you and the Lord? Amen. There was a time in my life when it would have been wrong for me to exercise. I had, a, I had an exercise addiction. And I, um, and I, couldn't, I couldn't exercise. And, uh, and so there was a season where God was like trying to you know, get control of me. For me to exercise would have been a violation of my conscience. I know that sounds crazy, but it's true. Yeah. Yes, that's next week. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't, we don't have time for that. But that's good, though. That's good, because that's what we want. We want the answer. Yeah, yeah. Tune in next week for three easy payments of $19.99. You're right, it is free. Amen. Yeah, please, go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. 
good. It's so good. It's good. And, l- and let, me, let, me, let me say this, too. He never stops loving you. I mean, it, it, like, so it's like, it's like, Ethan, will you come here real quick? Sorry to use you as an example, but <laughs> you can't take your shirt back, right? <laughs> he, probably, he probably can now. But, I mean, you know, if I'm, just, if I'm hugging him and I'm just hugging him and he's not hugging me, he's not enjoying love, right? But, but I'm still hugging him. But if he turns around and then we hug each other, how many of you know now he's enjoying love? But how many of you know love was there the whole time? Thank you. So, so when, you, when your heart is in a place of hardness, it's not God that's pulled back. All you got to do is turn around and receive, and receive love. That's really all you got to do because God's not disappointed in you. God's not mad at you. See, you wouldn't even have his trouble if you didn't have an enemy. You understand what I'm saying? Like, you wouldn't even have these failures if you didn't have an enemy. And so, and to tag into what you're talking about, and we'll get into more detail with this next week, but you just turn around and be loved. That's all you do. And then when you, when you receive love, your heart softens again. Because one of the things that hardens your heart is you think God's mad at you. How I many of condemnation hardens the heart? And so, and so there you are. You ever thought somebody was mad at you, but they weren't? And, and how many of you didn't want to be with them because you thought they were mad at you? But really, they weren't even mad at you. Yeah, and you removed yourself. And so that's what condemnation does. You remove yourself from intimacy, even though God's still there. Like, I'm, everybody's tracking me here. So, and, 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 and so, yeah. <laughs> but I'll... Yeah. Uh-huh. Good, it's good stuff. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Good. And and I'll tell you, um, if you can if you can make your relationship with God more important than the promise then you'll enjoy him while you wait for the promise. You follow me? And if you can just get caught up in enjoying him, the promises come, the manifestations come, but make it about him first. Amen? So we're, we're, we'll dive deeper next week. We're just kind of opening it up. I think this is going to be a series.
But um, so yeah, praise God, hallelujah. I think that's it. So, Lord, we just thank you. I thank you, Lord, that you help us to um, help us to. And Lord, I thank you for anybody in here that is experiencing hardness, Lord, that they don't have to wait on a sermon to learn how to turn back around. And uh, and I thank you, Father, that you help all of us to turn towards you, to turn towards your love, and to know that you're not mad, you're not disappointed, you're just concerned, just like a loving father would be. And uh, Lord, I thank you that you help all of us to have softness of heart towards you. And I thank you, Lord, you teach us how to guard our hearts against the enemy trying to bring that hardness in. Lord, we thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen.